Graphic design? Can you make a living at that? Three, two, one, fun, 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 Welcome to Design Futures, a show about what happens after design school. I'm Chris St. Cyr, and my guest on this episode is Greg Tariff. How are you, man? I'm doing well. This is long overdue, so thank you for having me. It's definitely long overdue. Let's hear about Greg. Greg is the director of product design at Bill, which brings financial freedom to small businesses. Additionally, he has worked for Intuit, Groupon, Visa, and eBay, as well as several design agencies. During his design career, he has also been an advisor for a few startup companies. He has led workshops at South by Southwest Conference and the London E-Commerce Design Summit. His work has received recognition from Nestle Purina, Fast Company Magazine, and Adobe Design. And finally, he is a 2009 graduate of the Ringling College of Art and Design. You have been super busy. Thank you. <laughs> that seems like a lot for your time. It seems like you you would have been out of school maybe twice as long to do all those things that you've done. Yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate it. Yeah, I you know what I like to say is I've been very fortunate to work with amazing people at amazing companies. And a lot of that comes down to relationships. It's just how do you strengthen your network and build on those relationships? And it leads to great things. So very fortunate to have had built those relationships with some amazing people. You know, just kind of looking at your career, uh, seems like early on, you really uh, understood how do businesses work and how do they function? What do they need? It seems like you're, you've been uh, right in the middle of kind of the business side of things. Can you talk a little bit about like your interest in business? I think the superpower for design is that we can bring ideas to life. And so it's one thing to have a spreadsheet and numbers on there and be like, oh, if we do this, it will go to this. But how are we going to do that? And that's where the power of design comes in to help paint that picture of that future vision. But as far as getting into business, it's, it's kind of an interesting one. I always at a young age had a love for business. And that very much came from my father, who is, was very entrepreneurial in himself. And so I also was in an upbringing that brought forward the creative arts and really empowered us as children, you know, in our family of four kids to do what made you happy. And so I loved business and I loved the arts. And so I always knew from a young age, I was either going to go to some sort of art school <laughs> or I was going to go to like a business school. So when Ringling then announced that they were going to offer a business of design minor, that was like, oh, the best of both worlds. So I went there to uh, major in graphic and interactive communication and, yeah. uh, and I minored in business. And, uh, and I quickly learned that the two directly connect with one another oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Graphic design is part of the business world. So, you know, get, get used to that idea, right? That it's not it's not artsy, right? It, yeah. I mean, it can be super creative, but it's definitely part of the business world. And, you know, knowing a little bit about how businesses operate is going to benefit you as a designer as well. So. It is. And, you know, as a designer, what's really intriguing too is no matter if you're in an agency environment or some sort of large corporate organization, what I've learned over the years is you have to sell the work you're doing. <laughs> it's one thing to be able to create it. And that's great. It's another thing to then pitch people on the idea to gain buy-in. You might be making something that's really cool that could really be pivotal in, in creating change. So how did you discover Ringling? Why did you choose Ringling? I just remember uh, having all these books and going through these books with my mother on all the different schools and, you know, okay, hey, if we're going to, we're going to go for this and be in a, in, you know, a graphic design or some sort of creative field we're going to really research it because it's an, it's an investment. And so I remember looking at RISD and looking at um, SVA, School of Visual Arts in New York yeah. City, and SCAD and Ringling. You know, I had the opportunity actually to have a scholarship to go to SVA in New York, where they had a motion graphic, they had just started their motion graphics major. And oh, I thought yeah. it was really cool. But I had gone through the pre-college program at Ringling, really enjoyed the campus feel that they had there. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of unlike any that I've, I've seen where it's just, just, and especially, I mean, it's exploded now with what they've done. Yep. Um, and they have a beautiful campus there. And it really creates a safe space for design students 
Um, whereas like SVA was just scattered all over New York City. And I grew up in the suburbs, didn't really have an interest in the city life. And of yeah. course, after Ringling ended up in New York City of all places. Um, <laughs> of so it's just funny how that works. Yeah. Sure. But you yeah. did the but you did the pre-college program the I did. summer before you went. And that really helped me kind of gain insight into kind of what the bar was going to be. Like I knew, I, I mean, I'll tell you till this day, I'm crap with figure drawing. Um, <laughs> and I knew, and, you know, I remember going through the courses there and, fit, you know, cause you, you, you have to take all the core courses, right. Yeah. To, to creative arts. And when I came back from my pre-college experience, I enrolled at the local community college in figure <laughs> drawing just to try to up my game to help, yeah. you know, portfolio ready. I am there with you. We're probably similar in uh, the talent of figure drawing and <laughs> I had plenty of designers that would, they're there as well. I, I noticed also you did, which uh, doesn't surprise me, you did an internship at General Motors. So it was interesting when I went to college at Ringling, my freshman year, Facebook was like a new thing. And a friend of mine and myself decided we really enjoyed classic cars. And so we created this Facebook group. It was called Classic Cars with Exclamation Point. And it built up this big following. And so the summer after my freshman year, I actually got contacted by General Motors' social media team. Social media was this new thing. Yeah, yeah. And I thought it was like a scam at first this voicemail that I had and it was somebody and I called the, the phone number back and it was like a corporate line to General Motors like oh this is real um, but they were like hey we're inviting people from MySpace and Flickr and <laughs> <Right>? Facebook uh, <laughs> who have groups and followings to come and we'll fly you in for you and a friend for a weekend uh, to come to the Woodward Dream Cruise which is this big show that happens there in Detroit Michigan and be our guest and we'll give you a tour. And all we ask is that you take photos and you share it back with your pages. Again, I was like 19 or whatever. I was like, this is cool. Sure. <laughs> right. So I went that summer and I grabbed every business card when they took us through the design center there. And I kept in touch with these people. And then General Motors part of, which I think uh, Ringling has done a great job with is they're recruiting uh, their, the career services department yeah. there. Uh, where they would bring companies in to do portfolio reviews, which, by the way, was extremely nerve wracking as a student to see if your name was on that list to, <laughs> to meet with the company after you submit your portfolio. But that's a whole nother story. But uh, when General Motors came through, I you know brought up the different names of the people that I knew there, again, building on that network. Yeah. And it was my sophomore year that came through, kept in touch with them. And then sure enough, the um, summer after my junior year, ended up interning there at General Motors. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I think there's definitely that that lesson of like you picked up on the on the networking thing early yeah. on, right? Just networking for an internship. That that is a thing, right? And yeah. and then you never know where internships might lead, right? They might lead to a job right after school or, you know, something else down the line. So, so at, at Ringling, uh you took all the regular design courses. Are there any uh any moments in those courses or your your social life at Ringling that that kind of stand out as you know, like this is, this was a special time or this is a special moment. Um, yeah. You know, things that you look, reflect back on. For sure. I think um, the design critiques for any of the classes, any of the design critiques or reviews were a great learning experience. Mm -hmm. And you have to learn to kind of be vulnerable and people have to have that open and honest communication and giving feedback, but also being able to accept the feedback. Mm -hmm. And that's tough for people, especially yeah. when you're at an early point in your learning experience. And even like my own self, I know I was probably like devastated with feedback that I would receive at times, mm -hmm. but people would be brutally honest, but it was also a super competitive environment, but also um, it was giving you a taste of the real world because I do hope that in you know every working day that I have that people are brutally honest with how are we progressing with a project or how is it shaping up and I think that is foundational for a designer to go through um, when it comes to being able to take you know uh, constructive criticism and feedback the other moment I remember having at Ringling was it was actually at the end of my time at Ringling we just graduated you know, somebody was having a party or something. Yeah. And I remember standing there and kind of just taking in the in the the room or the the view that I had and looking across at everybody, I was like, 
I'm probably never going to see any of these people again. And it was a really weird feeling because it was that, holy crap, now it's time to embrace the unknown. And it was during a time where, you know, the economy had crashed years prior witnessing at Ringling that people, majority of like the graduating classes would have either internships or jobs lined up by the end of the graduating year. And here we were exiting our year of 2009 and there was nobody with jobs lined up and that was terrifying. And so here I am standing, taking this room in, thinking back to like the design reviews and how not only critical they were, but competitive it was. And I was like, I ended up just booking a one-way flight to New York because I started networking there. Um, uh-huh. I was like, all right, I, I think I'm supposed to go do the Mad Men thing and work in agencies. And so I'm just <laughs> going to go to New York. There's agencies. I'll figure it out. Yeah. yeah. So, so you went to New York and yeah. uh, what happened was I, I flew out to New York. I had different uh, meetings lined up through uh, Ringling's career services to meet with different uh, recruiters at these different agencies and ended up landing an internship um, at the time, it was called Draft FCB. Now it goes by FCB. They're a global agency. And so I ended up landing an internship there uh, that turned into a contract role through that agency of working with people and some of the other people who were contractors. What I, what, and what I learned is some people like contracting versus being full-time. They right. like the variety. And so I started networking with those folks and they introduced me to other agencies. And so I ended up going to work for Gray Worldwide, which is another mm-hmm. large agency. But all the while, figuring out where I was even living in New York. I like, I rented a dorm room at one point. Cause I guess like <laughs> the schools in New York will rent those out in the summer. So oh. I had like a shared dorm room apartment with somebody at one point. Um, at another point I ended up crashing in the basement of uh, some relatives in New Jersey on their old waterbed from the eighties. Um, <laughs> why are, why are all waterbeds <laughs> from the eighties? I've heard that before too. From somebody. Yeah, they're definitely from the eighties. <laughs> and I think what was even more funny was I remember like a year later, like, Hey, was it cold when you stayed here? And I'm like, yeah, it was freezing. They go, Oh yeah. The heater on the waterbed is broken. We just found that out. Like the fact that there's heaters on waterbeds, <laughs> it, it, yeah. you know, news to me too. Right. So I was, uh, I remember I'd walk nearly a mile to the bus stop and take the bus into Manhattan every day. And you just wanted to work as much as you could because you were hungry to make money. And so there'd be times where I'd be working late and, you know, getting overtime and I knew if I wasn't, if I was leaving past seven o'clock from the office, my commute got a whole lot longer between the, you know, trains and buses yeah. and everything that I had to take. And uh, I was like, this is not sustainable. I was like, I need to, I need to find something. And I was just applying everywhere across the country. Something that I like to tell young designers or people who are entering the career field of design is early on in your career, just be open-minded to where you may end up. I feel as you mature in your career, that's when you have earned the right to be a little bit more picky on that. Yeah. I ended up getting uh, you know, an email back from this company or this agency called BFG. They primarily focus on doing ad advertising and marketing for, you know, beverage companies, food group companies, stuff like that. It was a great opportunity. It was based in Hilton Head, South Carolina. Yeah. I was not too far from the beach. Right. I'm not really a big beach person, but it was just yeah. relaxing. It was about 30 to 40 minutes from Savannah, Georgia. So okay. if I wanted nightlife, I'd go hang out in Savannah. It was a small shop. It was boutique agency. But what I think was interesting was the um, the creative director there who had hired me really gave me a chance. They had this interactive portion of their agency that I was hired for. And I just, you know, I came out of school just thinking, well, it's just graphic design, design, right? Like whether I'm making a website or a print magazine, it's all just design. And so there was a project at Ringling that was like a magazine, like you had to do a magazine spread and layout. Yeah. I'll never forget, he pulled up my portfolio project of this magazine. And it was like, I remember it was like a skiing and snowboard magazine I had designed. And he pulled open the index page and he said, okay, how would this translate into a website? Mm. And so I started explaining how the index would serve as the navigation and it would send me to this part of the site and started explaining essentially like site architecture. Right. Right. And he goes, if you can design, he's like, I don't care if you have not done much in interactive, but if you can explain how you would bring something to life, then to me, you'll be able to do it. 
And so I got the job. And so I was hired on as a, as an interactive designer uh, there. And I worked there for about two years doing all sorts of cool stuff um, for companies like Warner Brothers Mm -hmm. and um, Buffalo Wild Wings. And we were doing things for new movies that would come out, like when the uh, different Marvel movies and stuff like that would come out. We were doing so much flash back then. Oh yeah. Right. And, uh, (laughs) and, and, but we were also doing a lot of um, interactive Facebook pages because back then you could have like interactive experiences on Facebook pages. And so we were just doing all the different interactive promotions around these different, you know, brands, products, and whatnot. And they also offered social media management services there. So for example, Coca-Cola had done like a relaunch of the Mellow Yellow brand. So I was working on a lot of the designs for something like Say That. And then my friend who worked on the social media team was basically managing their Twitter page Mm -hmm. and like representing the company as they would like do giveaways and sweepstakes and stuff like that. Yeah. And it was funny because that friend of mine, his name was Alex, would walk in and every day he'd be like, look at this bike I won or look at this iPad I won or look at whatever, like, uh, you know, he would just win all this stuff from, because he was on Twitter all day. I was like, Alex, that's cool. But some of us have a job and we can't just <laughs> be hanging out on Twitter right. and contests. And the light bulb kind of went off where Alex, myself, and another co- colleague who was an engineer there by the name of Brandon, the three of us kind of for fun over pizza and beer on the weekends created this website that was called Guazoo and it would aggregate and scrape Twitter and Facebook for keywords like retweet to win, sweepstakes, contest, giveaway, and would put it in a newsfeed, categories across the top. So if you want travel giveaways or electronic giveaways, and all you'd have to do is hit enter, it would connect with your Twitter account and boom, it would do all the work in the background to enter you into that contest. It soon just exploded. We didn't spend any money on marketing. And I think within like the first six months, we had something like 55,000 entered contests on the site. And so it was this weird moment because here we are at our jobs, right? We're working for an interactive marketing agency. We kind of have this thing that's starting to take off and get legs. One of us had a child on the way. Do we quit our jobs? And that's kind of scary. There's no insurance. Can we afford to live essentially? Right, right. Um, Yeah, that's a risk. Yeah, a massive risk. And and then we started also getting reached out to by like angel groups and incubators and accelerator partners. And we had no idea what Silicon Valley was. We were we were in Hilton Head, South Carolina, like we no idea what any of that was. <laughs> Unbeknownst to one, one another, we started getting reached out to by big companies. Mm-hmm. And so eBay had reached out to me and they're like, that's really cool, but you should be doing cool stuff here. And we kind of <laughs> had this you know, reconvening like moment with each other. We're like, Hey, I'm getting reached out to by eBay. Hey, I'm getting reached out to this. Well, these are great. Like maybe this is what this thing is to help like springboard our careers and get help us kind of grow. And so I ended up, you know, taking the opportunity with eBay and the next, you know, I'm avid collector. So that was kind of like a a dream job for me. And uh, next thing you knew, I was relocated to San Jose. Yeah. And so what were you doing at eBay? I think I was like, at first, hired on as like a senior interactive designer, product design, UX designer, UI designer, visual designer, all these terms are being thrown around. Yeah. At that Um, time, they were were all the same thing, right? Everybody's all all of it. To some degree related, right? right. Um, I will say though, you know, in some of these companies, especially some of these companies that have like a legacy and history to them, you'll find that nowadays, um, I very much avidly try to hire people who I call like a hybrid where they're both on the UX and UI that they can do do all aspects of it, the both the visual and the wiring out of the experience. But I kind of started as a visual designer, I guess you could say. Reflecting back on it, I would just say that, yeah, I was a product designer. I worked on, I was focused on the verticals design team. So verticals being the different, you know, segments of eBay, like fashion, motors, electronics, et cetera, mm-hmm. and then building out the features therein. Yeah. I remember when we, when we previously talk you had said there was something about like ebay was like a second education for you like was it It was yeah i think what was interesting about ebay was it didn't feel like a job Mm -hmm. and i don't know if that was because i was just eagerly hungry at at, you know a young age in my career or what they had built there from a cultural perspective but it was just something that i enjoyed doing i didn't think of it like i was waking up and going to work and i was rapidly consuming education. I was learning the ropes. 
you know, I will say, uh, you know, as a as a young person at that time being brought in as a senior designer, there was definitely like ego and I was all fluffed up and super yeah. jazzed. And then soon learned that like, there's many designers who are way better than me and I need to embrace that and, yeah. you know, learn from them. Um, and that's something that kind of, you know, that humbling uh, part of the experience also, you know, transformed over time and evolved over time too, to kind of absorb that knowledge and learn from your partners because they have a wealth of knowledge. You know, I don't know if it was just like, the final, the final days of what Silicon Valley used to be, if you want to put it that way. I mean, I'd be wearing a t-shirt and shorts rolling around the campus on a scooter. <laughs> like it was just, it was a fun environment. And I think because of that, it, it didn't feel like work. And we had a good team too, that we were just connected and really rallied on what we were working on. Yeah. And then where, where'd you go after? Cause eBay was the first job on the West coast. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then where do you, where'd you go from there? What was so next? I didn't know what I wanted at that time, but I wanted growth and I, you know, I wanted change, uh, as far as what I was working on. And because there had been a lot of reorgs and shuffling around of people, the opportunity to shift over and make a move to the mobile team wasn't open. And so because of that, I kind of felt stuck. And I kind of felt like I had learned now at this point all that I could. And I really wanted to change teams that I was on. And so what ended up transpiring was a former eBay colleague had shifted over to head up design at Visa and had reached out. And it was kind of just perfect timing on their part um, where I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm interested in learning more and ended up joining Visa. I was at Visa just for a short time. We did some really cool stuff. I got patents there and, and you know, but I was there for just under two years but I was a lead designer hired on there, helped build the team out to about 25 plus. And yeah. we were focused on new innovation uh, and offerings for, for Visa. Yeah. And the reason that I would say that I was there for that kind of short while of just under two years was I then learned about work-life balance. I was in their innovation center in San Francisco. And for anybody who's familiar with the Bay Area, um, I was doing nearly a two-hour commute each way. Oh, uh, yeah. And this was back when you know, you're in the office five days a week. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and so that got, that got unsustainable real quick yeah. for me with what, you know, was enticing about this opportunity was we were trying to figure out the future way for people to pay. So we were getting test devices. They wouldn't tell us the brand. It might've been like an Apple iPhone or a Samsung device. And it had this, like, it would be like your phone and it would have like this dongle thing plugged in the bottom oh, yeah. of the camera lens on it. And we were testing out retina scanning and things yeah. of that nature and seeing how can we go through the security risk and verification process to make this work as a form of payment. Right. Um, and so it was mind-blowing stuff we were doing. I wanted to tell you about some of these other companies, but I'm going to bring up some visuals. Uh, sure. Look at some of your past okay. companies, past work. Yeah. Oh, Groupon. Can we see that? So yeah, when was Groupon? So Groupon was after I had kind of dabbled in the startup space. A former eBay colleague was there again, networking and was leading design. Uh, her name was Helena uh, So, and she was a fantastic design leader. Actually, I, I would say that she really taught me the importance of building really good design culture as well as psychological safety for teams. We went through this massive overhaul and redesign of the experience to really push on becoming the go-to spot for local discovery you know, kind of just going through, getting you to feel like you're going into the store with high visuals. So this, what was neat here, it's like being uh, personalized. It's, you know, welcoming the person saying, Hey, looking for dinner. It's taking into account. It's conversational the time of day. Mm -hmm. uh, they're kind of scrolling through local discovery. They come across kind of this, you know, enticing video of this pizzeria. And now they click on it and they tap into actually like now feeling like they're there and getting a feel for it. So how do you kind of start bringing forward that premium experience? And this is something that they could offer to stores and restaurants to have a more premium deal offering. So it's not only just thinking about, you know, the customer experience and up-leveling it and making it more personalized and conversational, but then it's also thinking about what are you doing to fulfill the business needs as well to up-level that. The Oak Lab. So this this yeah. one looks like, I mean, anything that looks like augmented super reality. Or, yeah. yeah, it just looks like super sci-fi. So I got to know the story behind this. Like, So Oak Labs was founded by a former eBay executive by the name of Healy Cypher. Healy had amassed a wealth of knowledge as it pertained to brick and mortar innovation. And so he walked in and out of a 
VC and essentially launched Oak Labs and had it fully funded. And he started tapping on people who were familiar with the work path, you know, in the past at eBay. And so I was one of those individuals. And so I ended up coming in to help build that picture of what could be a smart shopping experience, Mm -hmm. not only just smart for the customer, but smart for the retailer. The kind of backstory here is, you know, we launched with a variety of brands such as Ralph Lauren, Rebecca Minkoff, a variety of higher end fashion retailers who could afford the technology in their stores. Mm -hmm. And the way it worked was you walked into the fitting room and you had the garments in hand to try on. And so uh, when you went to try you try them on in the fitting room, this magic mirror experience would illuminate and it would recognize via RFID tags the garments you're trying on. And you could, whether you checked out right there and they would bring the bag to you, or you could uh, it would upsell and recommend different sizes or colors or things that would match it, but it drastically reduced the time and churn. So for example, if I was trying something on and I had a medium and I needed a small, I could request for a small, the sales associate on the floor would get a message on the tablet or watch that they were wearing and they would bring the item to your fitting room. Because we've all been there where we're like half naked, kind of peeking (laughs) out the door, being like, excuse me, can I get a different size? Yeah, Um, It's always challenging. And I think typically it was like eight to 10 minutes for somebody to bring you something versus now it was like a minute, minute and a half. But then there's a bigger picture, which is now there's a dashboard in the back of the house And they're getting notified that, you know, Chris here, you're trying on a medium and a small. Well, now they need to replenish the front of house. So now the stock is getting replenished out to the front of house. It creates this whole kind of circle of life experience. It was a really neat experience from from a design and learning perspective. Okay, let's talk about this this last one here because I know you you love dogs. So what so what is fetch? Fetch. Uh, I mean, can I say the yeah. pun? This is like a pet project. <laughs> it was. It was totally a pet project. Or oh yeah, it was totally a pet project for sure. You know, it was interesting. I had been doing a lot of e-commerce and fintech work in the past and kind of just wanted to take a little mental break and exercise in looking at an underserved area. Mm-hmm. And when it came to technology, I just don't feel the pet space. Like here's, you know, dating back to, I think like I think even back to the 1600s of dog tags, right? And they have never really changed. That's my longtime friend, Adam uh, Jackwitz, who I've known since preschool. He's practically a brother. Uh, And uh, it's just nice seeing his face there. He, myself, and then Steve Malka, who was somebody who I actually interned with in New York at Draft FCB, who's on the engineering side. Three of us kind of just felt passionate about how we wanted to create a smart ID tag for pets that was affordable. We had an app that was called Fetch My Pet, which was kind of our proof of concept where we launched a pet life management app where you could save medical records. It would serve up content based on the data we would collect on your breed information, age information. So like if you have, say, an, a senior German shepherd, maybe you should look at these uh, you know, hip and joint supplements and things of that nature. But you could also report your pet missing. And so these are some of the patent diagrams that we had. Uh, we had a trademarked, it was called a rover alert, kind of like an amber alert for pets. Oh, yeah. And uh, so within your geolocation, you could report your pet missing. And then I took some of the learnings I had in the past from like places like Visa or Oak around connected devices and beacon technology to be like, well, why don't we put a beacon on your pet? Um, And there's a photo of us winning uh, awards at, um, I want to say it's uh, Pet Care Innovation Innovation Prize. Yeah. Yeah. So that was with Nestle Purina, where they flew us all out and kind of put us through an accelerator program. And so people are amazing and you learn to network and people really want you to succeed. And you, in having, and, you know, pursuing a startup of your own, I think everybody should go on some sort of endeavor that they, whether it's a small business startup, however you want to identify it as, it really uh, made you you know, learn rapidly. Yeah. So we, we ended up having to exit. We did it for about two years and mm-hmm. we were acquired by a company called Fuzzy Pet Health. I like that line of like, yeah, everybody should do some kind of startup just to learn, go through the learning experience. I mean, there might be yeah. other benefits, but you definitely learn something. I'd also like to point out that I think your uh, drawing skills are here in this uh, particular slide. Here. Oh yeah. That's not my drawing, but yeah. <laughs> I think that was our lawyer. Yeah. That looks like a lawyer drawing of a figure, a human. Oh yeah. Those, those were some of the patent diagrams. Yeah. And explaining how the network would work. So let's talk about Bill though. Yeah. I started really getting embedded into the SMB space and really 
feeling empowered to help small businesses because at the end of the day, I've, I've pursued it myself. And so that's why I think it was an easy leap over to Bill. You know, I can empathize with the needs of these small businesses where it's like, they don't really want to be dealing with accounting and they don't want to yeah. be dealing with different things. They want to focus on doing what matters most to them, which is like running their business yeah. and doing yeah. what matters to them less on the things that, you know, aren't as exciting because these people will stay up late at night, sitting on their computer, pulling their hair out, trying to figure out, you know, their software when all they want to be doing is say running their restaurant or whatever. Right. They, and so how do you free them from that? How do you make things easy? Right. Where they can just, you know, simply go on their phone and send an invoice or get a report or see the status of a payment that's supposed to be coming in. And so yeah. what, what is your, we're talking about your product design. So what are you, yeah. what are you doing at your level on a regular basis? Is your, is your day just Boy, full of spreadsheets and schedules and meetings? Uh, there are spreadsheets at times. And <laughs> yes, that can be daunting for a designer because it's not the most pretty thing to look at. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so my role at Bill is I'm the director of product design. My, my pillar, as you would say, my area of focus is on growth. So growing the product experience, growing the customer base, growing the product. Mm -hmm. The beautiful thing about growth is we actually partner with all the other teams and yeah. we kind of get to go and cherry pick on different areas of the experience that we can help partner with them to help, you know, make it where it's more streamlined. But the day to day, uh, it changes every day. Uh, you <laughs> that know, keeps it exciting. It is. It does. It keeps you on your toes. I would say that as a design leader within a large company, it's far, it's very different than that of say being an IC and um, something I do like to express uh, to people who are pursuing careers in design is there's no right or wrong path. You can, and by IC, for those who don't know, I mean, individual contributor. Thanks uh, for that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no problem. What's interesting with that is you have people who have no interest in ever becoming a people manager and that's totally fine. There's times where young designers feel that they need to, like there's a ceiling and they have to become a people manager in order to grow, but it's, it's not true. Mm -hmm. So there are many different levels to both ICs and people managers, and those are lateral to one another. I would say only once it gets up to like, say a level of VP that there may not be that of an IC that's equivalent in some companies there are, and they're kind of like urban legends. Like it might've been somebody who's, you know, been there for like 20 years and now they're yeah. at that level. But there's opportunity for people to learn and grow and cross over into people management versus being an IC. For me, my day-to-day -day, when it came to things like, uh, like what is my day-to-day -day process? You know, there's the connection with, with the individual team members that report to me. There's the individual connection with the broader, you know, cross-functional team and then the broader leadership team. You know, I have, whether it's weekly or bi-weekly one-on-ones with every single designer that's on my team. Um, oh, wow. It's really up to how mature they are in their journey and what makes the most sense for them. If they want to meet with me weekly or biweekly, and they all know they can reach out to me anytime. If we need to hop on zoom really quick, we can do so. That's never a problem. You know, I, making yourself available is critical uh, when you're in a leadership yeah. role uh, to be able to provide that feedback and provide that guidance. So there's those weekly or biweekly one-on-ones. And then outside of that as well, focus on the individual. We also have a monthly goals one-on-one. -on -one. And then, you know, I'm also having one-on-ones across the company as well. So different mm -hmm. leaders, whether it's cross-functionally speaking or on design specifically, um, meeting with them as well. And then we also have our weekly, you know, team syncs for design, which I personally like to do over lunch. And the reason for that is there's some team members who may be in the office and then there's those who are virtual. And back in the day, you know, you had all this interaction in person with your team right. and many times, you know, once or twice during the week, you'd all go out and grab lunch together. Mm -hmm. um, and so to kind of give it that more social feel and build on team culture, we go over status updates, but we also have fun with it. And there's different like, you know, games and things that we do during that lunchtime as well together. And then lastly, uh, design reviews, having that okay. critical feedback, right? Opening right. safe space for designers to have where it's just designed together because we also have design reviews with our cross-functional partners, but having that safe space together where we can kind of be open and honest in how we communicate on the work itself. So yeah, that's uh, so you're at this role of product design, leadership, mentoring, and you've done a lot of other things. What would be next for you? Like if you 
like a promotion or if you move to a different oh. company? Like what's the step up for, for you? So technically I'm a director. The next step up would be a senior director. And then you oh. get into say a VP route. Right. right. Um, okay. I would, I would imagine for me, that would be more responsibility as to the business unit itself. Many times for promotion, what a lot of people don't realize is there also has to be a business case for it. It's not just, oh, you've been doing great. Here's a promotion. You're going right. to get paid for, et cetera. It's also about, you know, what does that look like from the needs of the business? And mm -hmm. do we need somebody to be performing at that level and capacity? So, so in all that experience, can you talk about like the different ranges of salary? I mean, you know, like startups, you have no money, sure. <laughs> you're in a leadership startups, role, yeah, that's, you, that's, yeah. that's more money, you know, all the things in between, what have you experienced and what, what can you uh, tell, you know, young people about like what to expect? <laughs> There's no real playbook or guide to how to navigate salaries with jobs. What I can say is, you know, early in my career, when I was going down the agency path and decided to go to the, the product design path, you know, being part of product, the one key difference there was with agencies, you know, I, I always felt like, unless you're top dog, like you're the creative director, mm -hmm. are you really having that life-changing income? I never felt like that at an agency that you would be making that of, say, in the tech space or the product space. And there's a couple mechanisms that help you earn more in the product space. And just so an example, like, uh, you know, when I was at BFG, I was making $45,000 a year. I was a, you know, entry-level designer there. Right. And it was, you know, a great opportunity. And when I got the opportunity at eBay, I want to say, I think my starting salary at eBay was like 102. And That's, I'll never yeah. forget like the call I got from the recruiter with the offer because my jaw dropped. <laughs> right? And they're counting for like the Bay Area cost of living. Right. And I remember they called and they said, you know, we're going to have your base salary at 102. And then they went on to explain about like a sign-on bonus and stock. And I remember I'm like, okay. And, and the recruiter, I remember his name was Art. And he was like, uh, so is that a verbal yes? I'm like, <laughs> Well, no, like I'm trying to like play it cool. Like, You're I'm, right. I'm like, I'm like, yes, I, I, oh my God, this is amazing, right? Yeah. And uh, I, I was like, well, no, like I'm going to have to end my lease on my apartment early to relocate and that's going to have some costs associated. And right. so they ended up like upping the salary and or like upping the sign-on bonus and whatnot. You know, you learn over the years that you should be making what is going to bring you quality of life. There's also things sometimes you may actually take less with a job than than what you may have had on offer from another place if it's means that quality of life is better. Like mm -hmm. commute has value. Are you having a longer right. short commute? Like there's a lot, you know, time with family. These things really matter and have a imaginary monetary value associated with them. Right. And so, but the way that I kind of get to the root of the opportunity is not to show all your cards and be like, well, I'm making this much, right? And so- mm -hmm. Because now, 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 like it could be way lower than what they had intended, right? right? What I typically have done in the past with interviews is early on in the conversation, I'll frame it as, you know, I'm wanting to be cognizant of everybody's time. I want to make sure this is worthwhile, not only for myself, but especially you and the rest of the team that I would be interviewing for. Can you share me more roughly around what is the range for this role and responsibility? What would those salary range be? And they may be like, oh, it's you know, 130 to 150. I'm just, you know, using an example. And it's like, oh, okay. What would qualify me to be at the top of the range? Right. right? Like what are you, what are your expectations for somebody to be at the upper end of that range? Yeah. And that's where you kind of go from there. You know, if you had told me that you can make six figures in design, I never would have known. <laughs> like I thought that was a doctor, right? Right. Yeah. And I've always, I've always kind of, uh, joked before with, uh, Jeff Blates over at Ringling, I've said to him, like, you know, with a diploma, they should give you just a one-way ticket to the Bay Area and you'll <laughs> land somewhere, you'll find a job, you know, and there's always a need for, you know, quality, talented designers and you'll do well for yourself. And yeah. so um, I'm a big fan of, of working in the product landscape and the tech space. All right, let, let's shift gears and talk about other things besides like boring work. Sure. You do have an interesting story, an interesting life story. If you oh, don't yeah. mind sharing, I mean, I'll just say the the house fire. I mean, obviously yeah. you're, you're you're in a house right now, right? Is this, am, this is, is my this home? Your, this is this your new home? I you know I 
hope nobody ever has to deal with something of, of that you know magnitude in their life but it is it is a life-changing event for sure and so yeah. my wife sarah and i we um you know we got married um in 2018 and then soon after we bought this home that was newly remodeled um unfortunately there was a lot of corners cut and so about a year and a half or so living in the home the entire roof caught fire we found out that the exhaust to the gas fireplace wasn't done to code. We were in the home. We saw the flames out the windows. Truly traumatizing, terrifying experience. Thankfully, yeah. most important thing was we were all safe. That's great. We grabbed yeah. the dogs. We got outside. Because it happened during the pandemic, between supply shortages and delays and everything therein, it took two and a half years to rebuild yeah. the home. Yeah, and uh, that's the interesting part to me. Like You had this tragedy, this unfortunate thing that happened to you, but then you hit the road. I mean, I know other yeah. people did that too. Like I started seeing photos of your, your van and like, you just like, there was mountains in the background and sunsets and yeah. camping kinds of equipment. So, so were you just on the road for like a year or so during when everybody else was like locked down in their homes? At that point, you know, insurance relocates you, you know, when you go through something of that nature and we were in a rental home, like five minutes from our house, there is the burnt carcass of our home. Like <laughs> We oh, just no. want to be in our home and we yeah. can't, we just sit and look at it while it's waiting for permits or waiting for approvals on things. Right. We were kind of getting cabin fever in this rental because outside with maybe a suitcase worth of clothes, we had nothing that belonged to us outside of the rental furniture in it. And, you know, everybody's at home. And so all we can do is work. And then we're kind of like, okay, now what? So we decided to make this big leap of faith. And they said, let's, let's buy an RV. And let's, you know, this camper van thing and let's just do this. You know, you see on Instagram, it's like the van life is all glamorous. It is not glamorous. <laughs> it's sweaty. It's stinky. It's dirty. Yeah. It's, you know, all of the above, but we had, a, we had a blast and we did it for about eight months. We did uh, 28 States, I think, and around wow. 15,000 miles. Nice. And we just traveled the country and we both were working remotely. So we had a, um, we had a, uh, what's it called? Uh, Wi-Fi hotspots from Verizon, T-Mobile and AT&T. <laughs> you had them all. For the best. Yeah. We just hope <laughs> for the best, but hopefully we had signal somewhere. Surprisingly, for some reason, Kansas had the best signal. There's nothing there, but it had great signal, <laughs> but yeah, we made the most out of it. You know, it's, it's around, you know, it's really a story of just like persevering through working through it, you know, kind of the whole, like make lemonade out of lemon sort of situation. And we kind of just like, you know what, if we can't be in our home, what can we do? Yeah. Um, and so we did that for a while. And then, you know, we came back to the Bay and we hopped around Airbnbs. We spent a summer um, on the lake, you know, just did different things like that to try to make the most of the time while also being, you know, very much tied to the construction as well and the rebuild. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah and, and this whole time you're, you're working though. You're not just. And we're working the whole time. Yeah. 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 Right. yeah. Oh yeah. And that, and that was a juggling act in itself where, right. you know, I almost felt I was working three different jobs where I was dealing with managing the insurance claim. Mm -hmm. I was dealing with managing the construction and rebuild of the home and then my job. Yeah. And I will say I was at into it at the time when the, the fire had took place and they were amazingly gracious to us, you know, giving me as much time as potentially needed. Um, I remember um, his name is John Fasoli, who uh, is now actually the CPO of MailChimp. And he had, reached out just the next day, like, Hey, do you need a GoFundMe? Like, is everything okay? Thankfully we were surrounded by people who really cared and were really helpful um, through that difficult time. Well, so, I mean, you, you did have some good photos posting. So I think you had some yeah. fun, some, some breaks uh, from, yeah. from the camper work life, getting on zoom all the time. And yeah. So, it, it was, um, it was a game though. Like people would be like, where's Greg today? They, yeah, want, right. they never wanted me to have a virtual background on. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. The other thing that I've, I think I knew this about you when you were a student too. You're, and you mentioned it earlier, your, uh, your love of cars. So what, yeah. what do you, do you, do you have like a whole garage full of cars or like, do you have like a super fancy sports car kind of thing? Yeah. Or what, what, what is the, what is the interest in cars and how does that manifest itself? You know, I've had friends who have jokingly said like they lost track of what I was driving because <laughs> my car ADD kicks in and every other year it seems like I'm, swapping something out or doing something. And, um, I would, the dream would be yes, to have a garage full of cars, like, have <laughs> like Tony Stark with all. The oh cars. yeah. That would yeah. be amazing. That would yeah. be the dream. 
I always had this dream of like this retirement idea of like a coffee shop meets, meets car storage warehouse where it's just like a place <laughs> for people to hang out that love cars and love coffee. Yeah, I mean, maybe someday. But I think um, for me, what's interesting is, uh, you know, when I was younger, I always thought like, oh, I got to have that flashy, crazy car. Yeah. And then I started just really just falling in love with all types of cars. I just have an appreciation for everything I've mm -hmm. learned over the years, like whether it's an old classic, you know, rusty little like hot rod to <laughs> some, some, you know, one of one sort of insane, you know, exotic. And I think it's more so the appreciation of the design around it, the time and energy. I mean, when I interned at General Motors, I never met people who were more passionate about the work that they did. Yeah. As I, as I've grown in my career, grown later in life, it's like, you get to that point where it's like, aha, I could get that crazy car now. Like I can reward myself for the, all the hard work. And it's like, yeah, yeah but this old 20 year old car is kind of cool too. That's kind of <laughs> smell to it and everything like that. Yeah. So what are you driving? What's your, what's your, uh, like, you got to go grocery shopping. What's your boring grocery shopping? Oh car? no. <laughs> so right now you're going to kill me for this one. Uh, we have, so I had a land cruiser, which was a lot of fun. And it was kind of that, that, that story of like, you know, appreciation, appreciating assets. So what I did was I bought an old classic Land Cruiser. Prior to the fire, I had owned a BMW M3, which was a blast in mm -hmm. a fun car. Yeah, uh, Highly recommend those. They're great, well-made, you know, cars, uh, as they say, ultimate driving machine. Uh, yeah. They're fun, but I got rid of it. And I had this old Land Cruiser that we were using to drive back and forth, uh, us and the dogs in, you know, to mm -hmm. where we needed to be living in uh, during the time of the fire. And then, you know, it didn't make sense to have, it started having issues. And I was like, mm -hmm. I don't want to be putting money into it. So I sold it. Mm -hmm. And so now we have my wife's old little scion that she had from college. <laughs> from college? Yeah, <laughs> I do have my, my, my gem, which is, uh, uh, I have a, a 1995 Toyota Supra uh, turbo okay. yeah. one car and it's super low mileage. And, you know, that I see as like an investment opportunity and has proven yeah. itself to be that. Um, but I am eyeing and we're waiting kind of till next year when it comes out. Uh, I would love to get a Land Cruiser again, but the new, they're coming oh. out with And so I think that will be our family, our family vehicle. Yeah. We don't need it. You know, I pop in the office a couple of days yeah. a week. And so I just take, I take this the old reliable little Scion Toyota. Yeah. It, it's super efficient. Last bit on, on sure. sort of the, the other collecting. So your Instagram says nineties retro collector. What's in this nineties collection? <sighs> I'm a collector by trade. I love nostalgia. I have a couple old arcade machines hidden away in my garage. Uh, Simpsons arcade machine from the late 80s, early 90s, a Ninja Turtles arcade machine, uh -huh. um, action action figures, Ninja Turtle action uh -huh. figures. All in the Pokemon boxes? Cards. No, oh, yeah. no they've never been open. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, that is a true collector. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, you know, even to the level of does it have the little hole punched on it to have been on the rack or not? <laughs> Um, is that like, a thing the collectors it is at? a thing it is oh a God. thing and then artwork I actually you know what I think I think you had introduced me to Shepard Fairey and Obey oh yeah um, probably and uh okay. so I, I collect you know all sorts of pop art uh mm. I've got a lot of uh Shepard Fairey work really appreciate his his uh his creative space and uh yeah I think it's more around just the appreciation the, the wild and crazy colors of yeah all that stuff and uh it brings back good memories too of yeah, course sure and uh, so, yeah. And the, and the other thing that brings you joy is is dogs. Like, okay, is. So do you have three dogs now or two? <laughs> We're crazy dog people. We have three dogs. Oh, uh, that yeah. is crazy dog people. That's, you're outnumbered. We, yes, yeah. We are now. Yeah, that what is of, true. What kind of dogs are they? Yeah. So we have a 14-year-old Black Lab Pit Rescue. She's an amazing dog. And then we also have a three-year-old Boxer named Sookie. So we have Shelby, Sookie, and ended up all being S's. And then we have a six-month-old boxer. Her name is Salem. So we have Shelby, Sookie, and Salem. And Sookie is a total goofball. Salem's yeah. follow suit, just being as crazy and a little gremlin. <laughs> and they all coexist and they all get along great, which is fantastic. And yeah. you know, uh, they've learned from each other. But yeah, that's our kids. That's our fur babies, as we call yeah. them. One big family of dogs here. Yeah. Oh, fun. Yeah. Lots, lots of energy. Lots of dog walking. Oh, it forces, forces you to get out, get your steps in, right? Lots of dog walking, lots of scooping, you name it. Yeah. <laughs> lots doing of it scooping. Gotta, gotta have a little pet energy once they in a just, while. Yeah. They, yeah. uh, they, they welcome you. They, they're always happy. Right? Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. They're, 
yeah, you walk through the door and it's like they they haven't seen you in a year or something. It's oh like, yeah, I, I, I just came saw home. you this morning. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, I came home late uh, earlier this uh, earlier this week from some work uh, meetings and when I came home late one evening after dinner. And it was like 10 o'clock and the whole house is dark and I open the door and all of a sudden these three things just start charging toward me and they're so <laughs> excited and it's such yeah. an amazing warm feeling. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and aside from the puppy, the other two are decent size, right? Oh so, yeah. yeah. They'll, they'll they, knock they you over for you. sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. I know you got to get back to your mentoring of young designers here. So we got to move on to the pop quiz. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. So um, some questions specifically for you and some more general ones. First question is favorite Ninja Turtle. Oh my God. So there was a, it's actually not a turtle. It's a, well, kind of a turtle. His name was Technodrome. No, Metalhead. 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 And he was a robot turtle. Yeah. Uh, work beverage. What are you, what are you consuming for beverages uh, during the work? So I well, coffee to start my day. And sometimes there's a second coffee if I need the little pick-me-up boost. Um, but outside of that, we have these cans of Hint water. Uh, it's like flavored water. Yeah. After work beverage, when you've launched a new feature and you're celebrating? Whiskey or beer, for sure. If you could own any car, what car would that be? It's a tough one. A 90, early 90s Lamborghini Countach in yeah. white. Uh, but um, dream car, uh, I feel like I have it. It was my teenage dream car, which is a Supra, and I absolutely love it. May not be doing much sketching these days, but sketchbook, blank or gridded? Oh, uh, lined. Lined, taking lots of notes. Lots of notes, <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, directing or designing? So, you know, I like to say that I can be dangerous in Figma, <laughs> and so I do like to be hands on and, you know, roll up my sleeves uh, to help work through challenges, but I definitely prefer it on more on the leading side for sure. Yeah. Laptop or desktop? Laptop. Laptop. Siri, yeah. Alexa, or Google? Uh, that's an interesting one. It's actually two of them. So I will hopefully not have my phone go off, but uh, Siri for my phone and then Alexa for the home. All right. If you weren't a designer, what would you be? Oh, boy. I think it would be there would be something on the business side for sure. I don't know exactly what on the business side, but there'd be something there probably. All right. Uh, what are your final thoughts for aspiring designers? Lessons you've learned you want to share? Yeah, I think um, embrace the unknown, right? Like you never know where things are going to take you. The unknown factor is you have to kind of flip it upside down where many times it can be filled with anxiety. It can be filled with stress but there's also a level of excitement. So how do you ride the excitement to see where it goes? Yeah. yeah. There's always going to be some, some unknown, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Craig, it, I'm so glad we did this after talking about it for a couple of years now. Yeah, I'm so glad you're back in your house. You got a new yes, puppy. Thanks. Life yeah. is good, right? Yes. Yeah, no, it's fantastic now. Yeah. It's, it's kind of refreshing where it's like, okay, we can kind of rebuild our lives now and kind yeah. of focus on what matters most now that we have our home base back. Yeah. yeah. Next time I'm in the Bay Area, I'll let you know I'm headed that way. Please do. Uh, Give me a holler. Love to get a coffee and go for a ride in yeah. the Supra. Yeah, exactly. That'd be great. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank you. Bye. What do we learn from Greg? Be open to critique and be open to new opportunities. And finally, build a startup business. You will definitely learn. Thanks to Greg Tariff of Bill. If you have any comments or questions for me or any of my guests, please leave them in the comments and subscribe so you can catch the next episode of Design Futures. Until next time, go learn something. Your future depends on it. Thanks for listening. See ya. Energy.